Imagine what it'd be like if we were really curious about each other. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Relational Spirituality, the weekly podcast of LargerStory.com, the podcast that sees all relationships as spiritual and all spiritual formation as relational. Now, here's your host for this week, Chris Gamble. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Relational Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gamble, and today I'm joined by one of my very best friends, Taylor Hughes. Taylor is truly a brother in the faith, and I would say he's the friend that God has used the most to mature me as a believer and equip me in my depth of knowledge of the scripture. So I love Taylor so much and very grateful for God using him in my life and am honored to have this time together today with you all. Taylor recently transitioned from his role at the IRS and in Washington, D.C., and now works in the private sector at Sherman and Howard LLC in their nonprofit division. Is that correct, Taylor? Yeah, we're religious organizations. We work with nonprofits and for-profit organizations, but particularly those who are Christian and missionally focused. Awesome. And they are out in Colorado Springs. Taylor, what's it like now a month in or two into yeah, living in Colorado two. Springs. It's pretty great. I grew up coming out here and having fun in the mountains. So it's kind of a dream come true for me. The weather can get a little more variable than Washington, D.C. or Georgia, which is where I'm originally from. But no, it's been really great. There's a fantastic community of Christians out here. Obviously, some great large nonprofits who are doing incredible work that are based in Colorado Springs. So I feel very fortunate to to be here and feel like the Lord called me and my wife out here. So we're loving it so far. That's awesome. Well, just uh, given some context, so Taylor and I met, you were into your sophomore year of college and I was kind of into my junior. I took like a long route. Um, but we met as roommates. We both moved in at the same time into this house that was a ministry house called the Wings House. And the Wings House got its name because it hosted a worship night on Thursday nights, student-led. And <clears throat> That was called Wings and Worship, and that got its name, in case <laughs> you're wondering, because they used to cook chicken wings and have a worship night. So, until they burned down the house, until they burned <laughs> down the house, and, and we got a new house and stopped making chicken wings. <laughs> That's right. And so, it was just dinner and worship. And if we got wings, it was we ordered them. So, yes. Important fact, thank you for reminding me. But 
I wanted to kind of jump in a little bit to Taylor's and, and I's dynamic when we first met. And I'll also just at this point overview the the conversation topic for today, which is Christian brotherhood. And we're talking about Christian brotherhood, but that's because we're men and believe that these principles can apply to sisterhood or just being sisters in Christ. So when Taylor and I first met, we were kind of like polar opposites, if not more than kind of. Yeah. I had just got out of a season of my life where I had been dropped, I dropped out of school, coming off drugs, coming off having been in jail. I grew my hair out and had these long dreadlocks. Well, actually, I had long hair, and Taylor mm-hmm. made them dreadlocks for me. <laughs> Thank you, Taylor. I played a small part. Yes, and and Taylor was just coming from Lee University in Tennessee, transferring out. He was there on a golf scholarship. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And yep. and comes from a very put together, at least in appearance, family and <laughs> and raised in the church and, and I wasn't so much raised in the church. And so we, we've talked about this and we judged each other as books by what the cover looked like. Would you say so, Taylor? Very much so. I was shocked having moved into the house to find this, this hippie kind of wild child at the time uh, was one of my roommates and didn't know, didn't know what to do with that at first. Yeah. No longer the hippie wild child, but still have that, that wild streak in there. So after what some months, a semester or two, Taylor and I, got asked by the, I think it was after one semester, Taylor and I got asked by the leaders of Wings in Worship, who were students a couple years older than us, to join the leadership team. And then within a couple months from that, they all simultaneously said, deuces, (laughs) we're out of here. And it's you you and Taylor now to lead this ministry, which both of us were not sure whether or not we were qualified at 21 and 23 years old. And going a little bit more into that story, Taylor and I spent that month and the subsequent months really on our face asking God, do you want us to lead this ministry together? And if so, you're going to have to do something miraculous. Taylor, do you want to share any more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the ministry was in a transition point. A lot of people had just left who were kind of the established community, and we were just asking God what he wanted to do next. And I don't know that I would recommend, especially as an attorney now, uh, (laughs) putting two people in charge as (laughs) co-presidents 
<laughs> from a right. functional standpoint, that is that a challenge. But we came to realize, as we're going to get into, I'm sure, that it was by God's design in that situation for both of us that we would balance each other out. Yeah, exactly. T- Taylor and I not only sort of background experience are kind of different, we're also personality t- type very different. And I don't know, Taylor, do you do the Enneagram? Yeah, and I actually find it, I don't I don't know too much about the background and some of the things people sure. have said about it, but I have found it useful actually, especially in marriage, right? Um, but also in friendships to understand people's motivations and deepest desires and biggest fears in order to uh, just be aware of when someone reacts a certain way or when someone is expressing a certain desire, where that's coming from, and to hopefully better respond better than maybe I would have otherwise. So I'm a one on the Enneagram. So very much, this is right, this is wrong, black and white. There's no other way. <laughs> this is my natural tendency. And fortunately, the Lord has softened that in me <laughs> over the years. But but yeah, very much feel like methodical, logical. methodical achiever. Yeah, very logical which is probably why I'm a lawyer. It helps to be those things as a prior to that. Yeah, IRS chief counsel. That's Yeah, and you know, I've come up as a 4 which is the no, sorry, 3 wing 4 which is the achiever with the free-spirited individualist. But my wife and I actually wonder if I'm a seven, which is the likes to have a good time mm-hmm. personality type. So talk about that more. Yes. I'd be curious to curious to hear more, maybe not on the podcast, but Right. So well I need someone I need someone in my life who wants to have a good time. I'm always too serious. So it, Right. Well that's it works. why we, that's why we work. Two peas in a pod. And you know, just kind of while we're chiming chiming in on personality types, would you say that I married someone who's an Enneagram one and has traits like you, and you married someone who is an Enneagram six, six, and has some traits like me? Would you say so? Yeah. No, she does. I've heard it said that some people are naturally fasters and some people are feasters. So mm. some people naturally are drawn yeah. to the fasting lifestyle. Others are ready for the big party and the feasting. And yep. um, my wife and I have recognized that that I am the faster in the relationship and she is the feaster. And so sometimes we you know, have to balance each other out when one wants to fast too much or the other one wants to feast too much. <laughs> Yeah. Like, well, let's think about that. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me. I used to have to remind you to eat when we yes. lived together because I was so focused on school and so work focused. and ministry. Yeah. I'd forget to eat. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, I still do sometimes. <laughs> I brought 
I brought that up to say that not only did God use you to grow me in that season and vice versa, but God used you to help me see what is missing in my sort of life and, and, and repertoire of strengths and what would be a great compliment to my unit. And thus it's probably partly due to our relationship that I identify, I was able to identify my wife. So, and you know, let's jump in to Christian brotherhood and I'm going to skip, we made some notes here and I'm going to skip to a different point to say, you know, that reminds me of David and Jonathan and how they made a covenant to be brothers and well, and they just as they made a covenant with one another. So maybe it wasn't to be brothers, but, and, and what's, what's the line? He loved him as his own soul. Yeah. So my translation, which is the ESV says, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So Taylor, how would you define Christian brotherhood from a biblical perspective? Yeah, I think I would break it down in, into two pieces. So first, you know, it's interesting that the Lord actually uses the term brotherhood when mm-hmm. speaking about Christian, and particularly Christian men and women who are doing life together, right? So in Galatians 4, God talks about how when we believe in him and when we accept Christ as our savior, he literally adopts us as sons. And then in Hebrews 13, verse 1, it says, let brotherly love continue. Or another version, it says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So So God is invoking this familial language when he's talking about Christians doing life together. And I think that's important to acknowledge on a couple levels. First of all, I think it shows that that God knows that we need family, right? Not only blood family, blood related, related family, but we need a family who are seeking after him and have the same values as us. And, and I think it speaks to this, this, this need that we have as human beings and the way he's made us for this sense of belonging with these people to support us. But not only that, I think it also speaks to certain obligations that we have to each other as family. You know, friends come and go, but family is forever. Like, you can't get rid of your family. <laughs> right. You can ignore them, but they're still family. And hopefully, as a good family member, you are taking care of them, investing in them, supporting them. So that was the first thing I was thinking about when, when considering what we're going to talk about today with Christian brotherhood. First, the, why are we using familial language here? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the reason why. But I think it's not only important to acknowledge that we're family, but also to look at, okay, well, 
what what does it look like to do family well? What does it look like to do brotherhood well? And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about Christian brotherhood, because you can be in a family and be a bad family member. We have examples of that in the Bible. Cain and Abel being the, the first one, I believe. You have Cain being full of jealousy at his brother because his brother did well before the Lord and the Lord was affirming him. And as a result, Cain murders his brother. It's the first example of murder we have in the Bible. And Cain, you know, says, I don't have any responsibility to my brother when the Lord comes and confronts him. So that's that's obviously a bad example. And something that I think we have all experienced at some point or another where we and I think you and I have even acknowledged that we've experienced this, even when we're leading a ministry, when you see the other person succeed, there can be this jealousy that Mm -hmm. rises up in us. Right. You just naturally, I think especially men, we're competitive sometimes mm-hmm. and we, we feel like we we need to be the most successful. Right. Um, so that's a bad example, Cain and Abel. So what, what does it look Jumping like? Jumping in there. Yeah, sure. When someone else is being the most successful, it means, or more successful, it means you're not. And I know many a times you do things so well, Taylor and more often than not or more than me it comes to you maybe with more ease or at least school does and so yeah i was definitely guilty of of the the jealousy and but what and so that doesn't mean you you know are stuck there is the point i want to make it means that you've got to confess and repent of the jealousy, of the anger, and and for me, it could manifest itself in, in making little snide comments that I would try to put Taylor down such that I felt better about myself, which I still unfortunately deal with and am working through with my wife, but it, it and so, you know, brotherhood is not absent of sinning against one another, but rather it's when you do repenting and confessing to God, but often and particularly if it's been man manifest to the other person in, in the relationship, there's a, there's a need to then repent and confess to them. And if you love them, try and, and ask God to, to get you to change what you're doing and the way you're doing it. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think too, it's interesting you talk about confessing it to each other because I, I don't necessarily, you know, subscribe to the idea that you need to confess every negative thought I have towards someone to them. Right. <laughs> there's there's circumstances where that's appropriate and where it's not. But I think particularly for us, that was really important to confess that to each other. And I I felt like I gained more freedom from it when I did confess it, which I think is true of every sin. Right. When you confess it, I think it does break the power of that sin over your life. So I, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I agree that confessing it to each other, I think, can be very helpful. Um, And that is part of brotherhood, that you're there, you're committed no matter what, even during the hard things, even when you have hard conversations. You don't run away from it. 
So there's this permanence to it. I interrupted your flow. Feel free to. No, yeah. So going into, you know, a better example than Cain and Abel and, and going back through this story, I was just struck at the parallels and circumstances between Cain and Abel and mm. who we're going to talk about, which is David and Jonathan. So I'd love to just read this short passage real quick. Please um, do. It's in 1 Samuel 18, and this is the first interaction that we see in the Bible between David and Jonathan. We're not sure if it's, or I'm not sure if it's the first time that they have met because David, we think, was in Saul's court, the king of Israel, uh, serving Saul before this. But, but just to set the scene, this is right after chapter 17, and chapter 17 is where David has his, his big moment where he rises up and says, I will go and face Goliath. He goes out there with a slingshot and a stone and he strikes down the giant and they defeat the Philistines, who is, you know, Israel's primary enemy at the, at the time. And so right after that, David comes back to Saul's court and has this conversation with Saul. And when he completes that conversation, this is, the text of the beginning of chapter 18 it says, as soon as he had finished, he being David speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, who is Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So, kind of a lot happening here, but just to kind of break it down. So first we see that Jonathan and David are connected by this, by this love. And, you know, I was trying to think through like, why, why, why did Jonathan feel so drawn to David in this moment? Like, what was it? And if you go back a couple chapters to, to chapter 14, we see Jonathan with a very similar character and and desire to honor God. Basically what happens is you see Jonathan take his armor bearer and go up and attack the Philistines by himself. And because of that, they end up the whole army ends up coming and, and defeating the Philistines. So very and, and he makes an exclamation similar to the exclamation David made before going to defeat Goliath, where he says, you know, the enemies of God shouldn't be able to mock him. And, and basically says, I believe God will give me the victory no matter what the odds are. So the first thing we see, though, is, is this incredible love between David and Jonathan because of their shared desire to honor God. Second thing I think we see is we see this covenant that Jonathan makes with David when he recognizes this similar spirit and this similar heart. Third, we see Jonathan, after he makes his covenant, literally strips himself of his own robe. He could have gone, he's the son of the king. He could have gone and gotten a robe, 
could have gone and gotten these weapons of war, but he strips off his own robe, his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt, and he gives it to David. Incredible symbolism and expression of, I'm going to give you what you need to be successful because I see the Lord is with you. Yeah. And then we see David, expression of honor. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then we see David go out and, and be successful. And what struck me about that in comparison to uh, Cain and Abel is that you've got this situation again where your friend or your, you know, your brother at arms has had this incredible success. But yet the response is completely different. You have Cain getting really angry and envious and murders his brother. And then here you have Jonathan not only honoring his brother, but giving him the tools to go forward and continue to be successful. Which is just wild, the comparison, especially as the son of the king, to have this shepherd boy come and show you up. So yeah, that that when I read through the story again and saw the parallels, I was just amazed. So I guess I had a couple of takeaways from... Well, so I also wanted to briefly touch on kind of some of their later meetings because they continue to do life together. Yeah. Um, when it was confirmed that Saul later wants to kill David because he's become envious of David's success, envious of his popularity, they they meet in the field and they weep together. Hmm. Something you wouldn't expect from these two men of war, right. uh, these two men who have had an incredible record of defeating armies and yet they are vulnerable with each other in that moment as they're sad as they're they're most likely gonna have to go separate ways now because david is being kicked out of the court and they're weeping together it's it's unexpected and certainly not something in our culture that is encouraged or maybe and then the last interaction between them i wanted to draw from is when David is now being chased by Saul. Saul is chasing him all over the country. David's hiding in various cities as well as in caves. And the Bible says that Jonathan went to David, which in and of itself is very dangerous at this moment. His dad, the king, is trying to kill David. And here he is sneaking off and going to David's side. And it says that he strengthened his hand in God. That's how the ESV puts it. You can imagine David is very discouraged. If you read the Psalms, David wrote many Psalms during this time of his life. And you see he's crying out to the Lord. He's expressing his his fear, his questioning of God. Why are you doing this to me? You anointed me. Why are you doing this to me? Why am I not king yet? And, and Jonathan comes alongside of him and strengthens him and encourages him. So those are kind of the three main interactions between Jonathan and David, I think, that, that I look at. And I'm, I'm just inspired by that level of brotherhood. So I don't know if you, if you had any additional things from their kind of life or interactions that you wanted to point out or draw from. Not necessarily, but just... In my note-taking, I wrote just a few words, most of which we've hit on, covenant, 
love, honor, and the sacrifices of giving up his military garb, Jonathan to David, or the occasion where Saul wanted to kill David in the court and David, you know, shoots the arrow to let him know you got to go. And then the, the scenario you mentioned at the end about David going to, or uh, Jonathan going to David and just risking his life for him, really. So beautiful story and yeah, deep. And kind of like, how do you live up to that? In, in your, yeah, totally. In your friendships. Yeah, I think you pulled out all the takeaways I did. Kind of the characteristics that I think that we are to aspire to as Christian brothers. That, go again, goes beyond what you would expect of just a friend, right? Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's a really good example of... And there's other examples, too, in the Bible, but I think that's one of the most striking, to me, examples of what Christian brotherhood can and should look like. And I think it's important, too, to acknowledge the result, like what happened as a result of that Christian brotherhood. Mm -hmm. David lives. He succeeds Saul to the throne, as Samuel had prophesied, and then he becomes the greatest king Israel has ever seen and starts the bloodline of Jesus, who becomes our savior. Right. So, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that that Christian brotherhood is necessary and extremely beneficial to us as followers of Christ and allows us to achieve what the Lord has called us to. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I even think about the the trajectory that a relationship can set your life on or a course that a relationship can set your life on in, you know, in a different direction, but in a, in a God ordained direction and how my life is on a total different trajectory because of our friendship in the best way. So absolutely. David's life was set in the the trajectory that God had planned for him through what his relationship with Jonathan made possible. And it could come from the most unexpected places. Like we said, you and I would not have naturally become friends probably if we had just met on campus. Same thing with David and Jonathan. They came from such pretty much as different backgrounds as you can possibly come from in that culture. Jonathan as the son of a king and David as the, you know, the runt of the litter for Jesse and his sons, right? The one who no one expected to be anything. And they become fast friends. I did want to touch just briefly on my own testimony. You've, You've talked a little bit about what Wings was, but would it be okay if I just share briefly kind of where I was coming from? And how that really did set me on a different trajectory. Be better than okay. It would be terrific. So as Chris mentioned, I was coming from Lee University, having spent my first two years there in college and playing golf. And 
on the outside, it probably looked like I was doing pretty well. I was playing on the golf team, having some success doing that. I was doing very well in school. But I also, what many people didn't know, was feeling very depressed. I mean, I would spend hours on my bed feeling just overwhelmed, like I couldn't do anything. And even having thoughts of hurting myself. And so, and I didn't really understand why. I was like, God, I feel like I'm doing the things that you've called me to do. And I feel like I'm honoring you well with my life. I'm not doing anything, you know, illegal or, or particularly immoral or anything like that. And so I was really confused. And after two years, I was just completely burnt out. I was just at the end of myself and needed a change and felt like the Lord called me to stop playing golf. So that was step one, was giving that up. But then it was looking for, okay, God, what, where do I need to be? And really not having any idea of what it should look like. But I just, I had a friend who told me about the Wings House and that felt like the right place to be. And I didn't really know why I was doing it, to be honest. It wasn't a specific, it wasn't like I understood, oh, what I really need is Christian community. What I really need is Christian brotherhood right now. But in the course of those three years of living there, that's what I found out. Oh, this is what was missing. I've been trying to do this Christian life on my own and I was never meant to. And it's It's overwhelming and it's very difficult and and not something that I believe we're meant to do is lead the Christian life by ourselves. It's possible by the grace of God, but I don't think it's as ideal intentions for us. And so through those three years, I think there's a few things that, that kind of became apparent to me. One of them was, you know, Chris, you talked about how I maybe helped you with kind of understanding the Bible better than you had before. But I think what you did for me is you took the time to see that I was hurting and to hear me just struggling with these these feelings and asking really good questions to help me get to the bottom of why do I not feel like my life is is this joyful Christian life that I expected. And because of that, yeah, I mean, that absolutely was a turning point in my life where I, I felt fully known mm-hmm. and felt like I had the safety to completely be myself, including to feel negative emotions and to struggle with those before the Lord. So that no one had ever given me permission to do that before. Mm. And you showed incredible grace to me in that moment, and you didn't condemn me for feeling those things, but you pointed me to the Lord and pointed me to his grace and to his love. And I experienced that through you in a way that transformed my life. And I recognized, oh, this is what Christian brotherhood can look like, where I can be authentic, where I can be myself, but someone's not just going to pat me on the head and say it's going to be okay, but they're going to point me to the Lord. And then keep me accountable moving forward and speak truth into my life, which you also did. And, and you know, there's other things that I learned through those three years as well. I think I was shown for the first time how prideful I was. 
I got to watch you do ministry with people in the way that you would just extravagantly love them in a way that I didn't hadn't seen anyone do before in sacrificial ways. And so, and I wouldn't have learned those things unless I had put myself in the situation to have that Christian brotherhood. And that was really the key to those major revelations in my life. And so going forward, even after the Wings House, I was intentional throughout my 20s to live with other Christian men. Not to say you have to live with people, but I was intentional to live in a community with other Christian men that I respected and who were trying to live life in a way that that I was also trying to live. And that played, I, I mean, when I think of the biggest strides that I've made in my faith in Christ, many times I can point to specific conversations or people that the Lord brought into my life to bring those things about. And so without that Christian brotherhood, I, I feel like I'd be in that same place that I was, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Um, so that's, that's how Christian brotherhood for me has been a key, really key tool and, and piece of my life that I've tried to be intentional about ever since living in the wings house. Yeah. Well, praise God that he chooses to use broken and zealous and knowledgeable at times believers to work deep and powerful truths into one another. I'm reminded Larry Crabb really wrote and spoke mostly on the faith and context of relationships and how our podcast is called the Relational Spirituality Podcast and that all spiritual things God designed to apply to a relationship, whether to our relationship to ourself, relationship to God, or to a relationship with others. Hmm. And and another one of my coworkers, I think she was quoting Larry, but essentially said truth, biblical truth, not tested through battle tested through the fire of relationship, essentially puffs up. And mm-hmm. it's it's the it's the, the, the relationship that works in, like you were saying a minute ago, the truths that we know into our head, into our hearts and souls. And so, yeah, I could tell as, as many anecdotes of the way God used you to teach me, like we said about the word, about doing things with excellence versus just haphazardly, you know, wild child-esque. And and so, you know, I, I equally praise the Lord for you, T, and, and, and those, those transformations. The, if I may move to the, the, the practical part of this, so what does brotherhood look like practically what is honor and covenant or not covenant 
I think that was maybe a special case. And, and, and one of the things practically that I wanted to touch on is even what's, what is the expected duration of a, a Christian brotherhood? Is it this thing that we have to be in forever? And, and I think that God brings people into our lives for seasons and sometimes it's just a matter of some weeks or months and sometimes it's over a decade like it's been for us and could be a lifetime and so just kind of speaking practically to the 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 duration point of it is there's not a not a formula around it and and you know sometimes people grow apart and life happens and and it doesn't mean that that what God did through that relationship isn't any less real or that person doesn't love you any less is sometimes it's just hard to 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 keep up and keep in touch and we've been through seasons where we've been more in touch and we've been less in touch and you know in my heart I knew where our relationship stood which is you love me and I you know I'm not questioning the fact that I haven't heard from you in months or I haven't reached out in months to mean that I or you don't love me and want to be my friend when you're in law school and you know I'm start you know starting a app company or something so the the other point that is tying into something you mentioned about our friendship that I think is essential to brotherhood and sisterhood, which making a point to say that we're talking about Christian brotherhood, but that's because we're men and believe that these principles can apply to sisterhood or just being sisters in Christ. Well, I'd say too that in my experience anyway, the women I know have been better at doing this hmm. naturally yeah. than the men that I know. Speaking from experience, because it doesn't come naturally to me, but I know my wife throughout her 20s, we got married a year ago, but when she was single, she did walk in authentic community all through her 20s. And, and that was something she did she did naturally. And so I do think it's something that men in particular maybe struggle with on average. Some men are really great at relating, like you. I think you're, you've always been good at that. I think a lot of men do struggle with this, and we could talk about why that is, but, but it's probably worth acknowledging that too. Yeah, you're normal if you struggle with this. <laughs> if you're a guy yeah. and you struggle with this, there are other people who struggle as well. I am one of those. Yeah, and maybe it's worth sharing a little bit about what are the obstacles to this type of friendship and maybe why it isn't as natural for men or or humans and and then we can get to some of that practical what this sure is. yeah well you i think have maybe given more thought to that question than i have as a psychology major and as a, someone who has talked to a lot of people about this and helped people learn how to do it better. But from my perspective, I think two things stand out to me. 
that made it hard for me to learn how to do this. The first was just a, a cultural expectation that, or, or maybe a norm that men don't show weakness or can't mm-hmm. show weakness. And that, you know, we, we elevate in this culture independence and self-sufficiency. And so to the degree that I, you know, need help, it's hard for me to admit that. You know, I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I need to just try harder. Mm-hmm. I need to pray more. I need to get in the word more. I need to do more. And for me, for a long time, that was that was my attitude. And, and it almost becomes a virtue in our culture to become independent or self-sufficient. And it's seen as a negative thing to be dependent. But, you know, that's so contrary to the Christian faith, which is at its basis, like acknowledging that we have a need for a savior. Mm-hmm. That is step one of entering the Christian faith, right, is acknowledging my need. So I think that's step one that was hard for me. The second thing is in the Christian faith in particular, I grew up with this idea, and people say it a lot, is all I need is God. God is all I need. He's my everything. And that's true. That He is our primary need. He is the one who... Uh, provides for us. But I think sometimes that can unintentionally communicate a message that we don't need each other or that we don't need church or that we don't need accountability or whatever, whatever it is, you know. And I don't think people intend for it to give off that message. But I think me as a kid, I, I kind of internalized that message unintentionally or unknowingly and thought, oh, well, I don't need other people. Like I'm as long as I'm in the Bible, as long as I'm connecting with the Lord, I'm good. He's going to show me what I need to know. He's going to give me what I need. And without realizing that actually one of the primary ways he talks to us is through other people. He says, don't forsake gathering together. And, and we see examples all through the Bible of, of where the Lord says, you know, how important it is to to do the Christian life together. But I think those are the two big things for me. So first was kind of this cultural expectation that you'd be independent and self-sufficient. And then second, this Christian thought that all I need is the Lord, which I internalize is I don't need other people. Yeah. But are there other things that you have observed in your, you know, time walking with other brothers? What feels like the biggest one is is a fear of being known. And it's not the being known part, really. It's that when someone sees you fully, then they can place a judgment on you about what they see and, and sort of determine oh, I like this or I don't like this. I reject this person or don't re- or, or accept this person. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you are known, you, you allow someone to have sort of the power to, to speak into your life and, and soul. And, but if you keep part of you hidden, not fully known, 
then you can, you know, if they reject you, you can say, well, they didn't know who I fully was or they didn't see all of me. So the, the fear aspect, and then I think that we are often unaware of our own selves in order to let others in to knowing us. And so I think it takes, you know, either a measure of self-awareness to know what inviting someone into your soul and journey is like, or an awareness on the part, let's say, as you referred to you and I, an awareness of someone else's soul in order to know what it's like to know them and the deepest parts of them in order to pursue to that place to get there with them. And then and then I would say, just generally, I don't think we are instructed in the these skills or this place in our souls through discipleship or through the church. I don't think it's as overtly taught how to enter into the soul of somebody else and be a safe and loving person there. And so simply people don't know how to how to get there with somebody. Yeah, totally. So even if they want it or recognize their need for it, they just don't have the tools to actually do it. Is what right. you're saying. I've had a saying the currency of relationship is trust. And and so yeah. generally trust is the key to the next door of the heart. And and I think even if you're not aware of yourself, you don't know how you're impacting other people. And therefore you don't know whether or not you're even being a safe person to enter into those deeper parts of someone's story or or, or soul. You could actually be wounding that person you know, as you're entering in or or rejecting that person by the way you're responding and you don't even realize yourself. I think that was my experience to some degree. And I mean, you would be able to speak to it better than, than I would because you had to experience me in college. <laughs> but I know that for me, I wasn't very self-aware and I did become more self-aware primarily through interacting with other people and getting their feedback and being open to that feedback. And then also through counseling, Mm -hmm. um, counseling had been something that had been, you know, taboo in, in my church growing up. It was something that only people who were, who were broken went to, (laughs) you know? And I learned instead that counseling provided me the tools to be an emotionally healthy person and that played a huge part in me being more self-aware of how I was making other people feel and allowed me to enter into more authentic relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Any other maybe obstacle that you would consider? There are probably many others, but those are kind of the big categories ones as as I see it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think think I had any well yeah so 
what what does this look like practically well and so it sort of depends on the the nature of the relationship the context of the relationship with the person the season of life you guys are in we taylor and i lived in a house together we were in college and so therefore didn't have jobs or worked part-time jobs and we didn't know how good we had it right exactly and so we connected in that season all the time and had this space to talk and, and go deeper and and this context to show up to meetings and plan things and pursue other people and in this context to like stay accountable to one another as we are now looked at as leaders. And so how do we set the example that we hope the people that we're leading would would fo- want to follow? But like we alluded to earlier, it you know, if you're newly married or just had a kid or moved away, that relationship and the frequency of relating is going to change depending on the context and the season of life. And adding to that, if you're in a church community group, you have a context or a rhythm that, or a small group or, or whatnot, that brings you together on a weekly basis and I think the point that I'm, or, you know, like a weekly basis for church community groups. And I think the point that I'm trying to make is that there should be some regularity or it's best to have some regularity, especially starting and build, put laying the building blocks of, you know, a, a deep relationship in the Lord it, is that there should be some reg, regular intervals of connecting and sharing where you are in your journey. Yeah, and we, we need to acknowledge like it is much harder to build this type of relationship and brotherhood and to maintain it over time as an adult, right? Yeah. Than it is as a student or as a young adult. And, you know, we have jobs, we have commitments and um, marriages, kids that that need to be a priority. Yeah. But I think what we're trying to drive home today is that it's worth being and taking the time to be intentional to to build these types of relationships because you desperately need it even if you don't think that you do you do. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully, you know, you see that in the word and you see that in some of the examples we've given today. But I I, I think it does just take time. Like you, you have to build in time to have the conversations, to allow authentic, authentic conversation to take place. And that might require some self-sacrifice. You know, if I have a really hard week and I really need to talk to someone um, and I text Chris and I say, Hey, Chris, like, this has been a terrible week. Like I, I really need to just run some things by you and just vent a little bit and chris might have had a plan to go you know do something fun 
on that Saturday afternoon. But I can't tell you how many times Chris has been willing to just pick up the phone and talk to me for an hour, an hour and a half, and basically just listen to me complain <laughs> or struggle with something. And, and, you know, vice versa. So I think it's, it does take sacrifice, just like it took sacrifice for Jonathan to give up something of his own. In that case, his robe, his sword, his shield. You know, it does require something of us, but it's so worth it because we yeah. we have that support then to do what the Lord has called us to do. That reminds me of the other big category of obstacle to this type of relating, which is it takes sacrifice and intentionality and it is easier not to. Mm-hmm. It's easier not to make the time for that phone call. It's easier not to, I mean, how many mornings did we wake up early to pray together and, and build that part of our relationship? It's easier not to, Hey, I'm struggling and I want, and, and it's late at night and, and you know, you or I want to talk and the other one just wants to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Cause and I have an exam the next morning. Exactly. So, yeah, it it takes it takes real sacrifice. Going to the practical, you know, go back to the practical. One of the things it looks like is praying for one another, and this is even a sort of a, a subcategory of being known, and why we need each other is there are places in our souls that, in our, just in our lives that we need God to move and the the prayers of a righteous man avail availeth much and inviting other people to pray for you and intercede in that place that you need prayer is is an important part and and, and something of what this looks like that, that's probably a good first step that was one of my first steps is getting to the point where I can ask for prayer when I need it yeah if yeah. you are struggling to enter into an authentic relationship, I think that's a great first step. Just, you know, when you're having a really hard day or you need prayer, think of who's that person who you know is also a believer and who you feel comfortable texting. And you say, hey, I'm just having a really hard day. Could you just pray for me? You don't even have to tell them what it's about. But just say, hey, would you, would you pray for me? And you'd be surprised how often people will then start to reciprocate. And they'll start to text you and you'll all of a sudden start to build this, this rapport with each other in this place where you can come for, for support. I've got a group text with some of my close friends from, from law school who, when we, you know, have something going on, we feel like we can drop something in the group text and just say, Hey guys, would you pray for me? So I, I feel like that's like a really simple, practical tool that you can use to kind of if you've had a friendship for a long time with a believer, but it's not very authentic, it's not very, you don't feel like you necessarily talk about spiritual things, that can be kind of an easy way to just kind of start that conversation. I was just thinking about how does how does it happen? How does this type of relationship happen? And essentially at some point, there almost needs to be a spoken agreement that 
we are going in a similar direction and we want similar things in our journeys and 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 being overt about saying will you journey alongside of me it, and it doesn't have to be like forced or awkward but i do think you can't necessarily make somebody who doesn't want to have this type of relationship go there with you so in in that kind of early stage yeah like taylor was saying asking somebody to pray for you is kind of a way to if they reciprocate that then you know you're kind of starting to get going in a direction where someone sees the same value of this type of of thing with you another <clears throat> step i'm kind of processing in my head what does it mean to be fully known and and the result are places that you need prayer for or like when you are known then people can know how to pray for you but a step into that is sharing your testimony with one another and i think that's just kind of like a category that you can say like hey what is your story and mm-hmm. And then within all of our stories are generally the big containers for becoming fully known, like family and what your relationship with your parents was like and the, the spiritual climate of your household and the, the way they related to you and, and instilled a sense of identity to in you based on how they related to you and and instilled a sense of identity to God or not based on how they led your home spiritually. And so an easy step into going deeper is like, hey, what's your testimony? What's your story? And and then be and then like over time being more curious about the elements of that or over time like you like get give or get get into you know, you said your, I wanted to say a real thing, but then be mindful. <laughs> you said your dad had you up every Saturday for Bible studies, and at you know, but at your to- you said that was like a really important thing. But the way I read your body language was you are kind of frustrated that you had to do that. And tell me more about how you felt about that but being known i think here's where i want to go with that is is being fully known ultimately that person should know like where you are in your walk with god you know at that particular stage or at any stage of your relationship they should have a bit of a pulse like where you are in your walk with god they should have a bit of a pulse of like where you are with the things that inhibit your relationship to god so you know, do you have like a slight drinking problem or a, a, a gossip problem or a, a lust problem? And you need that person in there with you to be light. And the Bible does say, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And so the, the being known part is, well, you, be, you get in the light, the places where the enemy is trying to have a footing he can no longer be there if the light is shining in it so ultimately that you know they should have a sense on where you are in your marriage where you are 
in your devotional life? What are the things that are inhibiting your spiritual life the most? What are your goals that you are trying to achieve in this particular season? And and ultimately, know eventually your whole story, every part, so that when when you do, like you would go and see a counselor, Larry had this thing that we've professionalized soul care, caring for one another. And when it was meant to be the body of Christ that would care and tend, the church would care and tend to each other's souls and we've professionalized it. Well, like you would go to a counselor, that counselor really just is skilled at getting to know you and being safe and listening for what are the things from your past that are impacting your present. And the, and, and that is what we are doing and listening for when we get to know somebody is, oh, like Taylor, when he would lay on his bed, he'd say, I'm sick. But because I know him and know he wasn't allowed to miss a day of school or whatever, using I'm sick would be a justifiable excuse. But when in reality, he's maybe just feeling overwhelmed and and getting a headache and tired and and so by knowing his story fully i can play a part in bringing into light what's going on in that particular season and so this is just bringing language around what are what is what does it mean to be fully known and why do we need it i think that's really good thinking about more you know, how do you start these conversations? One thing I was also thinking about is just setting a time to have a conversation, a spiritual conversation, because it can be hard to just like, how do you just bring it up on a Saturday when you're out, you know, playing a sport or something like that? It can be kind of awkward and forced. But if you know they're a Christian, you could be like, hey, you know, I have been thinking about doing this Bible study. Like, would you want to do it with me and just see what they say? And once you get into that context where, you okay, we know we're coming to this conversation. We both agreed to do this Bible study, for instance. Now it feels safe and feels normal to kind of talk about my spiritual life. Another way is to, to join a small group. I think small groups have been probably the primary tool that the Lord has used in my life to, to mm-hmm. build that kind of intimate community. And you know, it can be awkward trying to find the right small group for you or whatever your church community calls, gathering together in, in smaller groups of people of maybe 10 to 20 people on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis or whatever. But that really does, again, we're coming together intentionally for this purpose. And, you know, it might feel awkward and hard at first, but if you commit, I've seen this in my own life. There's been small groups where I've joined and I'm like, okay, like these people are all right. Like I don't have a ton in common with any of them. They're not necessarily like the people I'm naturally drawn to, but I find after a year, two years, these people really know me and care about me. And they've played a major part in my spiritual life, even though it didn't necessarily feel easy, but because I committed, the Lord used them because they're his people. So I think that's been a huge tool for me to both build and find those relationships. Yeah. I am thinking of a word you used, which is committing. I think that is also just an important part of it, of maintaining 
in nurturing these is, is just keeping to the commitment. We can subconsciously drift away from it and and we're actually putting to so it's not subconsciously drifting away we're drifting away but we're subconsciously putting that person to the test and and we're saying will you love me at an unlovable point will you love me when i'm not giving to it and am i worth it to you am i worth the pursuit and we just do that cuz we're broken and so love the person even when they're not giving, even when it's kind of early on. But do you like not pursue that? You know, if they don't want to be pursued, then that's the- We can do small and appropriate things, right? You can send a text message and say, hey, we haven't talked in a while. I've been thinking about you. I hope you're doing okay. And I'm praying for you. I've even sent a prayer in a text, you know, hey, Mm -hmm. Mark, I just felt like I should, should pray for you. Lord, I pray that you would, you know, do this, this, and this for this person and that that can be a huge thing to someone who's in a very low place especially just to have someone to know someone's thinking about you and praying for you that alone can have make a huge impact and it takes like you know 30 seconds for me to type that out on in a text message yeah but sacrifice talking about commitment yes and sacrifice (laughs) talking about commitment i you reminded me of something which is that a lot of the the great men of the faith who are in my life one of the things that stands out to me about them is their commitment to their community of brothers my mentor in law school he's been part of the same group of people who talks every i think it's every week maybe every other week they've been doing it for 20 years same group of people um my father-in-law he's been part of the same small group of guys for 15 or more years. My dad, he's in a group text and they talk all the time about stuff and have for a long time. So, and these are all men who I look up to as people who've, you know, held the faith, who've, who've walked in integrity and had incredible impact for the faith. And I know that all of them would say that a big part of that was having this brotherhood that they could lean on when they needed it. Yeah. I'm aware of our time and your time in particular. So I'm thinking about landing the plane. I wanted to talk on just maybe one uh, other practical thing is words of encouragement and the role that that plays. We battle as men as as people just am i doing enough am i good enough and to have somebody that knows you so that they can say it and have power because they know you, all of you and not so you can say you you don't really if you really knew me you wouldn't say that but they can say chris yeah you did just come up short like that's not defining you look at the last you know year or three years at that job or in that struggle and that's the who that's who you really are not this moment i believe in you so anything you want to say on words of encouragement or just generally any other practical kind of elements of brothering 
The only other thing I'd mention is that if you're someone who know, already knows the importance of Christian brotherhood and has been looking at it, or excuse me, looking for it, and you haven't been able to find it and you're discouraged, I just want to speak to to you and say, you know, I've been there. I know how that feels. I did not have Christian brotherhood in growing up or in high school or early college. And something the Lord put on my heart is to pray really specifically for it. Sounds really basic, but sometimes we just forget to do so. And, you know, I think of one example in particular where the Lord showed up in an incredible way when I prayed for a Christian brother. When I was in, about to graduate college, I had had this incredible experience of Christian brotherhood at the Wings House, living with Chris, living with other Christian brothers. And I was about to leave college and, and go live in the real world for the first time. I was starting a job in downtown Atlanta. I knew no one else who was going to be moving to a similar area or who was doing a job similar to mine. And I, I was honestly fearful. I was like, Lord, I don't want to do this alone. I know I, I know you don't want me to do this alone. And so I started praying. And as I was praying, I remember this one time specifically, I was walking to school and I was praying, Lord, would you just provide me, you know, with a Christian brother to whether it's live with or just fellowship with after graduation. And I felt the Lord really clearly say, be more specific. What do you really want? What are your heart's desires? What do you what do you really need? And I thought about it more and I started praying, Lord, would you give me someone who is also a strong believer, someone who is mature in their faith, someone who enjoys worshiping you the way that I do. I was a worship leader at the time. Hmm. Someone who wants to honor you in their work with integrity. And so I started praying these more specific prayers for like, Lord, this is what my ideal brother would would be for this next season. And not I can't remember exactly how much time passed, but I one day went to my professor's office just to ask questions. I was that guy. <laughs> the nerd who went to the professor's hours to go over the homework and things like that. And I was sitting on the bench outside her office and this guy came up and sat next to me on the bench. We just started talking and quickly realized we had a lot in common. He was a worship leader. His parents were pastors. He was also going to work at the same company as me and was also looking for a roommate. We forgot about the teacher and immediately went to lunch and hung out for like the next three hours. And by the end of those three hours, we had decided to room together just like that. And, you know, that's the only time in my life it's happened that quickly or that specifically. But I do believe because I prayed, the Lord answered that prayer. And, and you know, he was an incredible roommate, still is one of my best friends. And he was at my wedding last year. So, you know, if you don't have that kind of brotherhood and you want it, then I would just encourage you to pray specifically for what you feel like you need and desire in a Christian brother. And I believe the Lord will will answer that prayer because I think that he wants us to live in that kind of Christian brotherhood, but sometimes we just don't have because we don't we don't ask, as the Bible yeah. says. So 
I just, you know, just wanted to make sure to say that for those who yeah. are discouraged right now, who maybe understand all the things we've talked about and are like, God, why can't I find this? And maybe that's one tool that the Lord wants you to hear today. Yeah. Well, that makes me think of this thought, which is a little challenging. And I would also say, if you're maybe somebody that is having a hard time finding Christian brotherhood to examine yourself, and it could be that you say you want it, but you're not willing to make the sacrifice for it. You say you want it, but you aren't a safe or trustworthy person and people don't want to open up to you. Or you say you want it and you aren't willing to be vulnerable yourself. Or you say you want it and when it gets hard, you give up on it. And if you hit any of those things, you it can inhibit it from going there. So, well, it's been such a sweet time, Taylor, and insightful. We, I feel like we could just keep chatting away. As we do, many times. As, as we do. <laughs> when we're not recording podcasts. Yes. But thank you, Taylor, for joining me. I love you and grateful just for who you are in the Lord and that here we are 12 or 13 years later journeying together. So thanks. Thanks for being on the journey with me. Yeah, no, thank you. You have played a massive role in my life as my Christian brother. So it's a pleasure to get to just share with people the testimony of what that can be. And I'm grateful for your ministry as you continue to help people to know how to relate better in the Christian faith. I think that's crucial. So thanks for having me. Indeed. Well, thank you everybody for listening, especially if you made it to this point. And we look forward to catching you guys on the next one. Be blessed. If you like what you heard today, hit the like button just below. Then come back by subscribing to our podcast channel. For more resources on relational spirituality, go to our website at largerstory.com. Thank you.